Albuquerque. Last week I got a letter telling me I had been accepted. I'm supposed to report to the Academy in Virginia, December 10th. She looked at him curiously. So you're going to be an FBI agent? I don't know, she said. You haven't decided? What's the rush? We work on Navajo time. Even as he said it, the flippancy sounded false. December 10th wasn't Navajo time. It was four weeks away, a specific, ironclad, unbendable deadline. But you can't be both a Navajo medicine man and an FBI agent? Not really, she said. He wanted to change the subject, wanted not to talk about it. As a matter of fact, you couldn't be both a Navajo and an FBI agent. You couldn't be a Navajo away from the people. By the way, he said, thanks for helping with Tomas Charlie. I learned what I needed to know. If he told me the truth, that is. Mary Landon studied him. She remembered belatedly what he had told her about why he wanted to find Charlie. Do people lie a lot in your business? The question sounded innocent, and if it was, the answer was yes. A lot of people lie to a policeman, but she sensed the barb and the answer was different. I'm sorry about that, he said. I did tell his nephew I'd pass on the message about the car, but I also wanted to see him about police business. And you couldn't tell me that. It was more a statement than a question, and the proper answer, of course, was, no, I couldn't. But she sensed the hostility again, or perhaps it could now better be described as a mixture of caution and suspicion and he was not in the mood to give the proper answer. I could tell you, but only if you don't mind complicated accounts of things that don't amount to much, she said. Do you want to hear about it? She did. She told her about Vines and Mrs. Vines and the stolen keepsake box and Sheriff Gordosena and about the people of darkness and the disappearing body and finally about where Tomas Charlie had left the box. And when you look at it all with a detached view, she said, you see a Navajo cop simply exercising his curiosity, a crime of no particular importance, a total lack of jurisdiction. But it is curious, she said. What do you think happened to Mr. Charlie's father? And what are you going to do next? I don't know about the body. Probably lost by the bureaucracy somehow, and nobody cared enough to find it. As for me, next I'll go out in the Malpais when I have some time and get the box and take a look at those rocks, and then I'll get the box back to Vines. He says he doesn't want his box back, but he must want those medals. What will you tell Vines? I won't. I'll call the sheriff's office at Grant's and tell them I got an anonymous tip on where the box had been left, and went out and found it, and for them to tell the Vineses to come and get it if they want it back. Mary Landon raised her eyebrows and sipped her coffee. Okay, she said, it's a lie, but how else does Vines get his box back without Charlie getting in jail? I can't think of a way, she said. Something else puzzles me. How did Charlie know he could trust you? She shrugged. Because I look trustworthy? he asked. She laughed. As a matter of fact, you don't, she said. Could I go along when you go hunting the box? Sure, she said. We'll go tomorrow. 
The apartments the Crown Point School District provided for its teachers were a quarter mile beyond the school. The school was dark now, and the parking lot empty except for a single pickup truck. The pickup was a blue Ford 150. Charlie's. Chi slowed his carryall, staring at it. Not here, Mary London said. It's those apartments up ahead. I know, Chi said. I'll get you home in just a minute. He pulled into the parking lot beside the pickup. This is Charlie's truck, he said. Why would he leave it? The truck was locked. Frost was turning the windshield opaque. Chi walked around it, shone his flashlight into the cab, looking for anything that would answer that question. He didn't find it. 